Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Well, listen, there are three men who have been very good to me, very kind to me, and who I greatly admire. Uh, the brilliant director, Mr. Seth Barish, the master of radio producers, Mr. Ira Glass, and the amazingly wonderful comedian, Mr. Mike Berbiglia, whose new movie, out from IFC, is Sleepwalk With Me. If you've heard Mike's stories on This American Life, they are absolutely wonderful. If you've seen the show, the live show of Sleepwalk With Me, it is absolutely wonderful. And now, the film, the stories are really brought to life with whole new dimensions and a whole cast of amazing people, including a ton of people who have been on risk. Mark Marin, uh, Jesse Klein, Wyatt Cenac, and a couple of dear friends of mine who have not yet been on risk. Uh, David Wayne, Kristen Shaw, wonderful people, wonderful new movie. Go to ifcfilms.com to learn more. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Extra Risk, where we give you just a little bit more of the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Broke for Free, behind me now. Uh, if you don't already know, regular Risk episodes feature several stories, uh, some from our live shows, some uh, radio-style stories, and these extra ones uh, usually just feature one or two. On today's episode, we're going to feature a story that was first workshopped in one of the classes that we teach at thestorystudio.org. David Crabb taught an advanced workshop for people who had already been through our level one. If you've heard David's stories on the show, you already know how amazing he is as a storyteller. People also just rave about the teaching he does for us. Our story today comes from a fascinating lady, Miss Susan Kent, 
who has a blog at southerndiscomforts.com and a storytelling show of her own that you can find at tellitbrooklyn.com. So without further ado, here is Susan Kent with a story we call How Can I Tell You? Growing up in South Georgia, I spent a lot of time fantasizing about getting out of South Georgia. And for me, that meant graduating high school and going to college. So, you know, I knew my mom didn't have enough money to send me out of state, so I decided I wanted to go to the University of Georgia. Um, that's because I was living in Fitzgerald, and the University of Georgia was in Athens, which was about five hours away and was as far away from Fitzgerald that you could get without crossing the state line. I went to the guidance counselor's office and I grabbed brochures and applications and went home to show my mom. You know, my mom is the kind of person who all of my friends loved her and she was really fun outside of the house. But when they would leave, my sister and I would be left alone with a person who no one else really met. Um, you could say the exact same thing twice in a row. And the first time she would think it was hilarious. And the second time it would be as if you had committed murder and she would give you such guilt and shame with the words that she would say to you that she frankly just terrified the shit out of me. That being said, I really thought that she would be excited about me going to college, but when I got home and showed her the brochures, Mom said, Yeah, Susan, it all looks great, but I think you need to start at ABAC. ABAC, A-B-A-C, is an acronym for Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College. And it's pretty much how you'd imagine an agricultural college in South Georgia. There's farms and cattle and rednecks. And I stood there in my ripped jeans and my poison t-shirt. I just looked at my mom and said, are you kidding? I'm not going to ABAC. She decided I was going to ABAC or nowhere at all. I decided I'd just go nowhere at all. Instead, I stayed home and one spring night about a year or so after I graduated high school, I went to a keg party in Florida, and there I got shit-faced drunk and hooked up with some sailor on shore leave named Paco. My first thought the next morning when I woke up next to a naked Paco was, Fuck. I'm pregnant. So I waited for my period to show up, and when it didn't, I went to the Kmart, and I walked to the aisle where the EPT tests were, I picked up a box and went to pay for it in the pharmacy. Um, I took my bag and went to the bathroom in the back of the store. I peed on the little stick and 
When the little pink plus sign showed up in the window, I just, I laid my head on the toilet paper roll and just thought, well, shit. You know, I was 19, living at home with my mom. I had been spending my entire life in Georgia wanting to get out, and here I was pregnant. I knew that there was just no way I was going to be able to get an abortion because I was living in South Georgia, and as many churches and fried chicken places as we have, we don't have a lot of abortion clinics. And because I lived in the land of the Baptists, I didn't really have anyone I felt I could go to. But what I was really afraid of was letting my mom find out. And that's why I spent a lot of my first trimester trying to hide the fact that I was pregnant. And part of that was this hideous morning sickness that I had. And so every day I would be up around the time my mom was getting ready to go to work. And while she was in the bathroom, I would sneak out front into the yard and throw up into the bushes. After I finally passed that first three months and the abortion was completely off the table, I went to my second plan of action, which was to just start praying for a miscarriage. I did everything you're not supposed to do for a pregnancy. Um, that summer, we went to Disney World for vacation, and I said, all right, guys, let's get on Space Mountain. And we got on the ride, and I sat down, and I strapped the seatbelt as tight as I could directly across my uterus. And if you've ever been on Space Mountain, you know it's this crazy roller coaster. We got off, and I asked everybody to ride it again. And then again, and I threw in a couple of Thunder Mountain Railroads just in case, and it didn't work. Around my sixth month, I started becoming kind of housewifey. My mom even made a comment. I cleaned all day, every day. I became a baking maniac. I baked cookies, I baked pies, I baked banana bread. I think maybe the cleaning was my preemptive mea culpa to my mom, but that baking was definitely the maternal instinct kicking in, and it was also a really great excuse to blame my massive weight gain on. When I started showing, I wasn't one of those people who gets pregnant in the cute little beach ball in their shirt way. I got pregnant everywhere, but because it was the early 90s, I still had tons of big bulky sweaters. When my belly got bigger, I could not really show what was going on. It was a really weird time for me, as you can imagine, uh, struggling to hide my pregnancy from my mom and all the while really wishing that she would somehow notice. Like, I remember one time we were driving to Albany, which is this town about an hour away from us. On the way home, she put her head in my lap to sleep, and I ended up having to hold my stomach in the entire time because I was so scared the baby was going to kick her right in her head. 
So, nine months pass, and December comes along, and my mom's best friend calls and needs some help moving furniture into her new place. So, mom and I drive over. We spend the entire day moving every piece of furniture she's had for her entire life. Uh, One point, I remember, they were so impressed when I was able to carry in the twin mattress all by myself when I put it on my back. You know, I'm trying to do everything I can to act like I'm not pregnant. So by the time we got home that night, it was about 6 o'clock, and I was completely exhausted. And I was standing in the kitchen talking on the phone with someone when I got these intense gas pains. At that moment, my mom walked in the room, and she looked at me and said, Oh my gosh, Susan, are you okay? And, you know, I was still on the phone, so I just mouthed a word at her, cramps. And she hands me a Vicodin. Um, I knew I didn't need this pill, but my mom's standing there staring at me. And so I just took it, and I ate it, and then I went to bed because I didn't know what else to do. Uh, I laid in bed for a few hours, and the contractions started getting more frequent and more intense. Um, I was in the house with my family, so I, I knew that I couldn't make a lot of noise. And as the pain started getting worse, I started visualizing the pain as a solid object, it was around Christmas time, and something about it reminded me of the Christmas tree because it would start off really tiny and pointy at the top, and as it moved along, it would just grow bigger and wider and more intense and more painful to the point that it just I felt like it had gone just as wide as it could possibly go, and then it would just snap back. And it would be at that tree trunk size. And so I could just see it over and over in my mind, like watching this pattern of pain happen. And I was able to get my way through it for a few hours. Around midnight that night, I all of a sudden felt like I needed to take the biggest shit of my life. And so I get up and I go to the bathroom and I push and I strain and nothing happens. But the pushing feels so much better. And so I, when I was done, I went back to bed. And the next time the contraction hit, rather than getting up and going to the toilet, I decided I'd just push there in bed because, you know, apparently nothing's going to happen anyway. Why not just be comfortable, right? So I stay in bed, and as I push, a huge gush of blood comes rushing out. And then I knew, finally, that something needed to be done. And so I got up, and I went to the bathroom, and I cleaned myself up as much as I could, quickly. I changed my gown, so so that I don't terrify my mother completely. And by the time I get down the hallway to wake her up, um, I'm bleeding so much that it's gone through my gown again, and I just had no choice. So I 
walked into the living room and my mom is sleeping on the sofa underneath the glow of the Christmas tree and I bent over um, I shook her gently awake I said mom I need you to get up I'm having a baby and we have to go to the hospital right now what do you mean Susan you're not having a baby you just have cramps you know mom I know I told you that I know but I am I I've been pregnant for nine months. I am having a baby right now, and I need to go to the hospital right this second. And she said, no, no, you're not having a baby, Susan. It's cramps. Let me see. Just let me see. And she made me go to the bedroom. I lay down on the bed, and I put my legs up for her, and she took a look. I don't know what she saw, but it convinced her. So... She grabbed a towel, and we headed to the car. Um, as I was putting the towel down in the seat, she started screaming. I don't understand. We should have been prepared. We should have had a bag packed. We don't even have gas in the car, Susan. And I said, Mom, you know, it's okay. It's only a mile away. We can get to the hospital. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Susan, we can't go to this hospital. People will know about it by the morning. We need to go to Tifton. In that moment, I knew that we were going to drive 30 miles through the backwoods of Georgia. And we take off for Tifton. Like crazy people. And she's driving so fast and screaming so loud. What is this, Susan? I can't believe what you have done. Whose baby is this? When did this happen? I don't understand. What's been going on? You've been hiding this from me all this time? When did this happen? And I said, Mom, listen. I know that I'm in trouble. I realize this. But do you think we could possibly wait for the questions until after I get through this? And in that moment, a contraction hit so hard that I said fuck in front of my mother for the first time in my life. And... With it being my mother, that scared me almost more than having this baby. I looked at her, ready for the next tirade, and she just whispered, You know, Susan, maybe you should try that Lamaze breathing that you've seen on TV. I think that'll work. And when we got to the hospital, they rushed me in. Um, they put me on a gurney. And as they were rolling me into the delivery room, the doctor looked down at me and I looked up and said, I'm giving it up for adoption. I don't want to see it. And 20 minutes later, I heard a single cry and I saw a nurse rush out of the room with a bundle in her arms. And that's the last thing I remember until the next morning when we had a meeting with the doctor. Uh, we were talking about giving the baby up for adoption and he told me that he had a family that were looking for a baby. And I said, great, uh, let's do that. So he said, well, do you know who the father is? And I said, yes. And I gave a name of a boyfriend who I had had around the time I had gotten pregnant. 
so that I didn't look like a complete whore. He said, well, you know, we have to tell the parents. I said, well, what about this other boyfriend I had who had committed suicide a few months prior? But I thought that might work. And the doctor said, well, you know, we'd have to tell his grandparents. So that wasn't going to work either. And my mom looked at me and I looked at the doctor and I said, well, what if I just said that I don't know whose baby it is? And the doctor looked at me and said, that's exactly what I've been waiting for you to say all along. A couple of hours later, a legal secretary walked in with a clipboard of legal papers and she hands them to me and at the top of the page, it was written, Mary Susan Kent relinquishes all rights to a baby girl. You know, up until that point, I had spent nine months being separate from my body, pretending I wasn't pregnant, and reading those two words made this not a problem to get over or something that I was just going to get rid of. It was a real person to me for the first time and not just a thing that I was giving up. And I signed the papers. Afterwards, my mom and I drove back to Fitzgerald and... We never really talked about the pregnancy again. I remember one day I was sitting next to her bed. She was sleeping, having a nap in the afternoon, and a diaper commercial came on. And I just started sobbing for the first time. Mom rolled over, and my instinct was to tell her I was okay. Mama, I'm, I'm all right, I'm all right. And she looked at me and said, well, what's going on, Susan? And she didn't even notice that I was crying. And so we just moved on. One day my mom came home and said, Susan, they're testing for ABAC down the street and you're going. And when I first moved into the dorms, I saw cowboys who were practicing bull roping in the parking lot. I saw deer heads decorating dorm rooms on the way in. And Everybody hung out at Branches, which was this crazy little redneck bar where everybody did the boot scootin' boogie and drank beer out of half-gallon milk jugs. And it was wonderful. I became really good friends with everyone. I was even crowned Miss Baldwin 1991 my first year. And my mom, I think, thought I would come back home that I would go to this two-year school and see that the world wasn't the place that I really wanted to be. 
But inside, I knew I was getting a second chance to escape. And by God, I was going to take it. And from ABAC, I went to Florida State. And from there, I lived in Italy for a year. And from there, I moved to Brooklyn, New York, where I still live today. You know, I've lived all over the place. But I can tell you one thing. I will never live in Fitzgerald, Georgia again. is all for now folks be sure and check back next week this behind me now is Everts song by little gang now you may already know that on september 7th we will be in cambridge with jonathan katz and steve sweeney and then the next day september 8th we'll be in albany with dave hill but I'd like to announce now that on September 23rd, we will be in Los Angeles at the Riot Festival. I'll be hosting a risk show there with Kamau Bell, Maria Bamford, Steve Agee, and more. We're still putting that list together. Then on September 27th, we have Aubrey O'Day in Los Angeles and Liz Winstead in New York. Please check back to risk-show.com slash tour whenever you're wondering about our live shows because things change. We might even be doing some shows in Seattle in September. So risk-show.com slash tour. Another place you should visit is our website for our school, thestorystudio.org. Because we don't just teach workshops in person in New York. We also do stuff online. We travel with business workshops. There's all sorts of learning opportunities at thestorystudio.org. Don't forget about our all-star episodes. Sarah Silverman, Mark Marin, Adam McKay, Michael Ian Black, Lisa Lampanelli, Paul F. Tompkins, Kerry Kenny Silver, Samantha B., Kevin Nealon, Nick Swartzen, and more. 
Just go to risk-show.com slash shop to find out how to purchase those all-star episodes. On Facebook and Twitter, we're at Risk Show. On Twitter, I'm at the Kevin Allison. Other than that, folks, today's the day. Take a risk. <laughs> <laughs>